The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 13 The Weed Men Now, on that night, when I came to my watch, I discovered that there was no moon and, save for such light as the fire threw, the hilltop was in darkness. Yet this was no great matter to trouble me, for we had been unmolested since the burning of the fungi in the valley, and thus I had lost much of the haunting fear which had beset me upon the death of Job. Yet, though I was not so much afraid as I had been, I took all precautions that suggested themselves to me, and built up the fire to a goodly height, after which I took my cut and thrust and made the round of the camping place. At the edges of the cliffs which protected us on three sides, I made some pause, staring down into the darkness and listening, though this latter was of but small use because of the strength of the wind which roared continually in my ears. Yet though I neither saw nor heard anything, I was presently possessed of a strange uneasiness which made me return twice or thrice to the edge of the cliffs, but always without seeing or hearing anything to justify my superstitions. And so, presently, being determined to give way to no fancifulness, I avoided the boundary of cliffs, and kept more to that part which commanded the slope, up and down which we made our journey to and from the island below. Then, it would be near halfway through my time of watching, there came to me out of the immensity of weed that lay to leeward, a far distant sound that grew upon my ear, rising and rising into a fearsome screaming and shrieking, and then dying away into the distance in queer sobs, and so at last to a note below that of the winds. At this, as might be supposed, I was somewhat shaken in myself to hear so dread a noise coming out of all that desolation. And then, suddenly, the thought came to me that the screaming was from the ship to leeward of us, and I ran immediately to the edge of the cliff overlooking the weed and stared into the darkness. But now I perceived by a light which burned in the hulk that the screaming had come from some place a great distance to the right of her, and more, as my sense assured me it could by no means have been possible, or those in her to have sent their voices to me against such a breeze as blew at that time.
And so, for a space, I stood nervously pondering and peering away into the blackness of the night. Thus, in a little, I perceived a dull glow upon the horizon, and presently there rose into view the upper edge of the moon, and a very welcome sight it was to me, for I had been upon the point of calling the boatswain to inform him regarding the sound which I had heard, but I had hesitated, being afraid to seem foolish, if nothing should befall. Then, even as I stood watching the moon rise into view, there came again to me the beginning of that screaming, somewhat like to the sound of a woman sobbing with a giant's voice, and it grew and strengthened until it pierced through the roar of the wind with an amazing clearness, and then slowly, and seeming to echo and echo, it sank away into the distance, and there was again in my ears no sound beyond that of the wind. At this, having looked fixedly in the direction from which the sound had proceeded, I ran straight away to the tent and roused the boatswain, for I had no knowledge of what the noise might portend, and this second cry had shaken from me all my bashfulness. Now the boatswain was upon his feet almost before I had made an end of shaking him, and catching up his great cutlass, which he kept always by his side, he followed me swiftly out onto the hilltop. Here I explained to him that I had heard a very fearsome sound which had appeared to proceed out of the vastness of the weed continent, and that, upon a repetition of the noise, I had decided to call him, for I knew not but that it might signal to us of some coming danger. At that the boatswain commended me, though chiding me, in that I had hesitated to call him at the first occurrence of the crying and then, following me to the edge of the leeward cliff, he stood there with me, waiting and listening, perchance there might come again a recurrence of the noise. For perhaps something over an hour we stood there very silent and listening, but there came to us no sound beyond the continuous noise of the wind, and so by that time having grown somewhat impatient of waiting, and the moon being well risen, the boatswain beckoned to me to make the round of the camp with him. Now, just as I turned away, chancing to look downward at the clear water directly below, I was amazed to see that an innumerable multitude of great fish, like unto those which I had seen on the previous night, were swimming from the weed continent towards the island. At that I stepped nearer the edge, for they came so directly towards the island that I expected to see them close inshore, yet I could not perceive one for they seemed all of them to vanish at a point some thirty yards distant from the beach, and at that, being amazed both by the numbers of the fish and their strangeness, and the way in which they came on continually, yet never reached the shore, I called to the boatswain to come and see, for he had gone on a few paces. Upon hearing my call, he came running back, whereat I pointed into the sea below, at that he stooped forward and peered very intently, and I with him, yet neither one of us could discover the meaning of so curious an exhibition, and so for a while we watched, the boatswain being quite so much interested as I. Presently, however, he turned away, saying that we did foolishly to stand here peering at every curious sight when we should be looking to the welfare of the camp, and so we began to go the round of the hilltop, 
Now, whilst we had been watching and listening, we had suffered the fire to die down to a most unwise lowness. And consequently, though the moon was rising, there was by no means the same brightness that should have made the camp light. On perceiving this, I went forward to throw some more fuel onto the fire, and then, even as I moved, it seemed to me that I saw something stir in the shadow of the tent, and at that I ran towards the place, uttering a shout and waving my cut and thrust. Yet I found nothing, and so, feeling somewhat foolish, I turned to make up the fire, as had been my intention, and whilst I was thus busy, the bosun came running over to me to know what I had seen. And in the same instant there ran three of the men out of the tent, all of them waked by my sudden cry. But I had not to tell them save that my fancy had played me a trick, and had shown me something where my eyes could find nothing. And at that two of the men went back to resume their sleep. But the third, the big fellow to whom the bosun had given the other cutlass, came with us bringing his weapon, and though he kept silent, it seemed to me that he had gathered something of our uneasiness and for my part I was not sorry to have his company. Presently we came to that portion of the hill which overhung the valley, and I went to the edge of the cliff, intending to peer over, for the valley had a very unholy fascination for me. Yet no sooner had I glanced down than I started, and ran back to the bosun and plucked him by the sleeve. And at that, perceiving my agitation, he came with me in silence to see what matter had caused me so much quiet excitement. Now when he looked over, he also was astounded, and drew back instantly. Then, using great caution, he bent forward once more, and stared down. And at that, the big seaman came up behind, walking upon his toes, and stooped to see what manner of thing we had discovered. Thus we each of us stared down upon a most unearthly sight, for the valley all below us was a swarm with moving creatures, white and unwholesome in the moonlight, and their movements were somewhat like the movements of monstrous slugs, though the things themselves had no resemblance to such in their contours, but minded me of naked humans, very fleshy and crawling upon their stomachs, yet their movements lacked not a surprising rapidity. And now, looking a little over the bosun's shoulder, I discovered that these hideous things were coming up out from the pit-like pool in the bottom of the valley, and suddenly I was minded of the multitudes of strange fish which we had seen swimming towards the island, but which had all disappeared before reaching the shore, and I had no doubt but that they entered the pit through some natural passage known to them beneath the water. And now I was made to understand my thought of the previous night, that I had seen the flicker of tentacles, for these things below us had each two short and stumpy arms, but the ends appeared divided into hateful and wriggling masses of small tentacles, which slid hither and thither as the creatures moved about the bottom of the valley. And at their hinder ends, where they should have grown feet, there seemed other flickering bunches, but it must not be supposed that we saw these things clearly. it is scarcely possible to convey the extraordinary disgust which the sight of these human slugs bred in me, nor could I, do I think I would, 
for if I were successful, then would others be like to wretch even as I did, the spasm coming on without premonition and born of very horror. And then, suddenly, even as I stared, sick with loathing and apprehension, there came into view, not a fathom below my feet, a face like to the face which had peered up into my own on that night as we drifted beside the weed continent. At that I could have screamed had I been in less terror, for the great eyes so big as crown pieces, the bill like to an inverted parrot's, and the slug-like undulating of its white and slimy body bred in me the dumbness of one mortally stricken. And even as I stayed there, my helpless body bent and rigid, the boatswain spat a mighty curse into my ear, and leaning forward smote at the thing with his cutlass, for in the instant that I had seen it, it had advanced upward by so much as a yard. Now at this action of the boatswain's I came suddenly into possession of myself, and thrust downward with so much vigor that I was like to have followed the brute's carcass, for I overbalanced and danced giddily for a moment upon the edge of eternity. and had me by the waistband and I was back in safety. But in that instant through which I had struggled for my balance, I had discovered that the face of the cliff was near hid with the number of the things which were making up to us, and I turned to the boatswain, crying out to him that there were thousands of them swarming up to us. Yet he was gone already from me, running towards the fire and shouting to the men in the tent to haste to our help for their very lives. And then he came racing back with a great armful of the weed, and after him came the big seaman, carrying a burning tuft from the campfire. And so in a few moments we had a blaze, and the men were bringing more weed, for we had a very good stock upon the hilltop, for which the Almighty be thanked. Now scarce had we lit one fire when the boatswain cried out to the big seaman to make another further along the edge of the cliff, and in the same instant I shouted and ran over to that part of the hill which lay towards the open sea, for I had seen a number of moving things about the edge of the seaward cliff. Now here there was a deal of shadow, for there were scattered certain large masses of rock about this part of the hill, and these held off both the lights of the moon and that from the fires. Here I came abruptly upon three great shapes moving with stealthiness towards the camp, and behind these I saw dimly that there were others. Then, with a loud cry for help, I made it the three, and as I charged they rose up on end at me, and I found that they overtopped me, and their vile tentacles were reached out at me. Then I was smiting and gasping, sick with the sudden stench, the stench of the creatures which I had come already to know. And then something clutched at me, something slimy and vile, and great mandibles champed in my face. But I stabbed upward, and the thing fell from me, leaving me dazed and sick and smiting weakly. Then there came a rush of feet behind and a sudden blaze, and the boatswain's crying out encouragement, and directly he and the big seamen thrust themselves in front of me, hurling from them great masses of burning weed which they had borne each of them up a long reed. 
and immediately the things were gone, slithering hastily down over the cliff edge. And so, presently, I was more my own man, and made to wipe from my throat the slime left by the clutch of the monster, and afterwards I ran from fire to fire with weed feeding them, and so a space passed during which we had safety, for by that time we had fires all about the top of the hill, and the monsters were in mortal dread of fire, else we had been dead, all of us, that night. Now, a while before the dawn, we discovered, for the second time since we had been upon the island, that our fuel could not last us the night at the rate which we were compelled to burn it. And so the bosun told the men to let out every second fire, and thus we staved off for a while the time when we should have to face a spell of darkness, and the things which at present the fires held off from us. And so at last we came to the end of the weed and the reeds, and the bosun called out to us to watch the cliff edges very carefully, and smite on the instant that anything showed. But that should he call, all were to gather by the central fire for a last stand. And after that he blasted the moon, which had passed behind a great bank of cloud. And thus matters were, and the gloom deepened as the fires sank lower and lower. Then I heard a man curse on that part of the hill which lay towards the weed continent, his cry coming up to me against the wind. And the boatswain shouted to us all to have a care, and directly afterwards I smote at something that rose silently above the edge of the cliff, opposite to where I watched. Perhaps a minute passed, and then there came shouts from all parts of the hilltop, and I knew that the weed men were upon us. And in the same instant there came two above the edge near me, rising with a ghostly quietness, yet moving lithely. Now the first I pierced somewhere in the throat, and it fell backwards. But the second, though I thrust it through, caught my blade with a bunch of its tentacles, and was like to have snatched it from me, but that I kicked it in the face. And at that being I believed more astonished than hurt, it loosed my sword, and immediately fell away out of sight. Now this had taken, in all, not more than some ten seconds, yet already I perceived so many as four others coming into view a little to my right, and at that it seemed to me that our deaths must be very near, for I knew not how we were to cope with the creatures, coming as they were so boldly, and with such rapidity. Yet I hesitated not, but ran at them, and now I thrust not, but cut at their faces, and found this to be very effectual, for in this wise disposed I of three in as many strokes, but the fourth had come right over the cliff edge and rose at me upon its hinder parts, as had done those others when the bosun had succored me. At that I gave way, having a very lively dread, but hearing all about me the cries of conflict, and knowing that I could expect no help, I made it the brute. Then as it stooped and reached out one of its bunches of tentacles, I sprang back and slashed at them, and immediately I followed this up by a thrust in the stomach, and at that it collapsed into a writhing white ball that rolled this way and that, and so in its agony, coming to the edge of the cliff, it fell over, and I was left sick and near helpless with the hateful stench of the brutes.
Now by this time, all the fires about the edges of the hill were sunken into dull glowing mounds of embers, though that which burnt near to the entrance of the tent was still of a good brightness. Yet this helped us but little, for we fought too far beyond the immediate circle of its beams to have benefit of it. And still the moon, at which now I threw a despairing glance, was no more than a ghostly shape behind the great bank of cloud which was passing over it. Then, even as I looked upward, glancing as it might be over my left shoulder, I saw with a sudden horror that something had come anigh me, and upon the instant I caught the reek of the thing and leapt fearfully to one side, turning as I sprang. Thus was I saved in the very moment of my destruction, for the creature's tentacles smeared the back of my neck as I leaped, and then I had smitten once and again and conquered. Immediately after this, I discovered something to be crossing the dark space that lay between the dull mound of the nearest fire and that which lay further along the hilltop. And so, wasting no moment of time, I ran towards the thing and cut it twice across the head before ever it could get upon its hind parts, in which position I had learned greatly to dread them. Yet no sooner had I slain this one than there came a rush of maybe a dozen upon me, these having climbed silently over the cliff edge in the meanwhile. At this I dodged and ran madly towards the glowing mound of the nearest fire, the brutes following me almost so quick as I could run. But I came to the fire the first, and then, a sudden thought coming to me, I thrust the point of my cut and thrust among the embers and switched a great shower of them at the creatures. And at that I had a momentary clear vision of many white, hideous faces stretched out towards me, and brown, champing mandibles which had the upper beak shutting into the lower and the clumped, wriggling tentacles were all aflutter. Then the gloom came again, but immediately I switched another, and yet another shower of the burning embers towards them, and so directly I saw them give back, and then they were gone. At this, all about the edges of the hilltop, I saw the fires being scattered in like manner, for others had adopted this device to help them in their sore straits. For a little after this, I had a short breathing space, the brutes seeming to have taken fright, yet I was full of trembling, and I glanced hither and thither, not knowing when some one or more of them would come upon me. And ever I glanced towards the moon, and prayed the Almighty that the clouds would pass quickly, else should we be all dead men. And then, as I prayed, there rose a sudden, very terrible scream from one of the men, and in the same moment there came something over the edge of the cliff fronting me, but I cleft it, or ever it could rise higher, and in my ears there echoed still the sudden scream which had come from that part of the hill which lay to the left of me. Yet I dared not to leave my station, for to have done so would have been to have risked all, and so I stayed, tortured by the strain of ignorance and my own terror. Again, I had a little spell in which I was free from molestation, nothing coming into sight so far as I could see to the right or left of me, though others were less fortunate as the curses and sounds of blows told to me. 
And then, abruptly, there came another cry of pain, and I looked up again to the moon and prayed aloud that it might come out to show some light before we were all destroyed, but it remained hid. Then a sudden thought came into my brain, and I shouted at the top of my voice to the bosun to set the big crossbow upon the central fire, for thus we should have a big blaze, the wood being very nice and dry. Twice I shouted to him, saying, Burn the bow! Burn the bow! And immediately he replied, shouting to all the men to run to him and carry it to the fire. And this we did, and bore it to the center fire, and then ran back with all speed to our places. Thus, in a minute, we had some light, and the light grew as the fire took hold of the great log, the wind fanning it to a blaze. And so I faced outwards, looking to see if any vile faces showed above the edge before me, or to my right or left. Yet I saw nothing, save, as it seemed to me, once a fluttering tentacle came up a little to my right, but nothing else for a space. Perhaps it was near five minutes later that there came another attack, and in this I came near to losing my life through my folly in venturing too near to the edge of the cliff. For suddenly there shot up out from the darkness below a clump of tentacles and caught me about the left ankle, and immediately I was pulled to a sitting posture so that both my feet were over the edge of the precipice, and it was only by the mercy of God that I had not plunged head foremost into the valley. Yet, as it was, I suffered a mighty peril, for the brute that had my foot put a vast strain upon it, trying to pull me down. But I resisted using my hands and seat to sustain me, and so, discovering that it could not compass my end in this wise, it slacked somewhat of the stress and bit at my boot, shearing through the hard leather and nigh destroying my small toe. But now, being no longer compelled to use both hands to retain my position, I slashed down with great fury, being maddened by the pain and the mortal fear which the creature had put upon me. Yet I was not immediately free of the brute, for it caught my sword blade, but I snatched it away before it could take proper hold, mayhaps cutting its feelers somewhat thereby. Though of this I cannot be sure, for they seemed not to grip around a thing, but to suck at it. Then in a moment, by a lucky blow, I maimed it so that it loosed me and I was able to get back into some condition of security. though we had no knowledge but that the quietness of the weed men did but portend a fresh attack. And so, at last, it came to the dawn, and in all this time the moon came not to our help, being quite hid by the clouds which now covered the whole arc of the sky, making the dawn of a very desolate aspect.
and so soon as there was a sufficiency of light, we examined the valley. But there were nowhere any of the weed men. No, not even any of their dead, for it seemed that they had carried off all such, and their wounded. And so we had no opportunity to make an examination of the monsters by daylight. Yet though we could not come upon their dead, all about the edges of the cliffs was blood and slime, and from the latter there came ever the hideous stench which marked the brutes, but from this we suffered little, the wind carrying it far away to leeward and filling our lungs with sweet and wholesome air. Presently, seeing that the danger was past, the boatswain called us to the center fire, on which burnt still the remains of the great bow, and here we discovered for the first time that one of the men was gone from us. At that, we made search about the hilltop, and afterwards in the valley and about the island but found him not. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. Music for Chapter 13 is by Slut Machine from the album Inching Glaciers and by Fold 
from the album In Favor of More Permanent Pleasures. These works are available at darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, field recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com.